1: Hey, what's up, guys? Kyle Stanley here from the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you want to learn how to connect with world-class people, you should be listening to the Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, If you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with my buddy, Kyle Stanley. Kyle is a real estate and Airbnb professional out in Fresno, California. In just under 16 months, he's accumulated 22 Airbnb listings and this business gives him the freedom to live life on his own terms, travel, and focus on the important things. He's also passionate about teaching others how to build their very own Airbnb portfolios. It's gonna be a really great conversation, guys. Can't wait to get into some of these things. First, if you're listening to this right now, and you are a podcaster or a content creator in any sense, and uh, you like the guest lineup that I'm able to get here on my show, and you would like a similar guest lineup for your show, then head over to guestio.com. It is my completely free software platform that we built out in order to connect high-level guests with high-level content creators. It's a pay to play marketplace. So um, if you're going to go check out some of those high level people over there, I'm talking household names, people like Manny Pacquiao and and the like. If you go over there and you you try to book some people, just understand that you're going to have to pay for it. But that's part of the pay to play option there for the software. So that's guestio.com to book high level guests for your show. Kyle, what's up, bro? Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Travis, thanks, man. Uh, This is a pretty cool honor. I mean, you and I have kind of become friends, but you know, going back to the start, I've been a huge fan of the podcast, so excited to be on it.
0: Yeah, bro. It's been a little while now, actually, it's been like, like over a year that we've known each other. So I've been looking forward to getting you back or getting you on the show. And for those people listening, you might hear a few people like Kyle in, in past episodes and in coming episodes that were all a part of my Cool People, Cool Places mastermind that took place at the beginning of 2019. And COVID put a wrench in some of the plans that we had. But other than that, I was really, really happy with all the people that uh, were a part of that. And Kyle was one of those people. So I'm stoked to have you on and shed some light on some of the cool things that you're up to in the world. But first, before we do that, suck some context here, build a little bit of context for those listening. And let's go back in time. Talk to me what it was like being Kyle Stanley at you know age twelve. Let's say talk to me first you know oh, wow. family life, parents, stuff like that. But then also school, academics afterwards.
1: Yeah, well, I was the goody two shoes. <laughs> I was the right. guy that you know I uh, had to make mom and dad proud. Had to get the uh, the straight A's and. Honestly, I've just always been all about Mm self-competition, so I've always been very competitive with myself, so it really wasn't about anyone else besides just proving that I could do it, but at the same time, I was competitive with other people too. So when, you know, like my mom told me at the age of like six that she had perfect attendance from third grade through college, I was like, well, I'm going to do it from kindergarten through high school, and I did it. (laughs) Did you really? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of one of the running
0: jokes. That is impressive, man.
1: (laughs) It's kind of one of the running jokes, like because my senior year when we graduated, they didn't tell me that I was going to get recognized for this achievement at graduation in front of like thousands of people. And so they start like explaining who's about to get this perfect attendance award. And I'm just like, oh crap, they're talking about me right now. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, that was kind of me growing up. I had a dad who was a business owner. And I saw the freedom that he had. I saw how much money he was making versus my mom, who was a teacher and was working, you know, all these crazy hours and taking homework and just making like literally like a fifth of what my dad was making. So at an early age, I kind of connected the dots and I was like, I wanna be my own business owner. But then along the way, I became a huge sports fanatic and got into the world of sports broadcasting and thought I was gonna be the next like, you know, ESPN guy or broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs. And then I was like, wait a second. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a, I wanted to like create my own life and create my own schedule. And and I kind of got away from that because I got passionate about sports. Why can't I just do both? And so that kind of led into the entrepreneurial world. And, uh, I'm past 12 years old now, so I'll stop.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, but you actually ended up going to college for broadcasting,
1: right? I did, yeah. Well, I got into college not knowing what I wanted to do, and then I figured out I was pretty decent at talking about baseball in front of a lot of people, and so I was like, why not do that for a career?
0: Yeah, awesome. So, And you actually... Did that as well, right? Like so you go to college, graduate, and then you took a job in sports broadcasting.
1: Yeah. I was a local sports anchor for a little station in Grand Junction, Colorado, KKCO, making nineteen thousand dollars my first year. Woo! Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But it was it was a blast. Had a great time, but it was just one of those careers that, you know, when you're in the news versus like working for called an ESPN or Fox Sports, you know, you're around a lot of the news type of stuff. And it's just it can be toxic. It can be really negative. And obviously like, you know, when you're in the sports department too, that you kind of get like the redheaded stepchild treatment, you know, so downplayed a lot, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 So it was just not the dream job that I thought it would be. And I saw a lot of people too, like 35 years old, still making 60 to $80,000 a year thinking they've quote unquote made it. And I was just like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be able to enjoy sports and go to the events and pay for them because I've been able to create a great life for me rather than, you know, trying to get in the freeway of being an an anchor or a sports guy. So that was when I kind of cut the ties.
0: Did you have any hesitations when you were deciding to kind of leave that career path behind? I find a lot of people get in this like tail wagging the dog mode where they have this sunk cost fallacy that makes them believe they have to continue along this certain career path because that's what they spent a ton of money going to college for. That's what they're in debt for. So like uh, as well just grind it out and make this thing work where it sounds like you fairly early on figured out pretty quickly, like, hey, this is not something that I want to continue to do. Did you have any sort of like inner voice telling you just stick with it? Or was it pretty simple for you to make the decision to, you know what, I'd rather do something I actually enjoy?
1: It was simple for two reasons. One, I had started a side business while I was a sports anchor, making videos for high school athletes who wanted to go on to play in college. And I was making more doing that 10 hours a week than I was doing my full-time job 50 hours a week. And number two, it was just a lack of appreciation, you know, being in a job where you're kind of like an umpire. Like if they don't tell you that you're doing anything wrong, then you're probably doing a great job. And for me, it was just like, you know, I I love to know that I'm appreciated and I just didn't ever feel appreciated. And so I wanted to, if if I couldn't feel appreciated, then I wanted to be able to create my own lifestyle and give myself a pat on the back, I guess you could say so. Yeah, those are the reasons.
0: So what was step one then? Like you grew up Fresno, right? Fresno, California, Mm -hmm. Central Valley, California. Then you go to college. Where at?
1: Point Loma in San Diego.
0: So go down to San Diego, but then your first job's in Colorado. So you move out to Colorado. What was the first step when you realized like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. What was your plan of action?
1: It was actually, I moved to Arizona because I... A, it was a huge sports town and B, I had always wanted to live in Arizona. And so for me, I was like, man, if I could make this business that I had started in Colorado, making videos for athletes work in Colorado, small town, what could I do in a big city? So I basically just kind of said, let's go try it out in Arizona. And I gave it a three month trial run, met the right people, connected with the right people and just got some success stories out there. And it just kind of started to snowball. And so that was really the first step is just, it was scary to move to a new place, but at the same time, it really wasn't because I just was like, what do I have to lose right now? I was 24 years old. And started a business and had some money in the the savings account so I was just like if I don't do this now when am I ever going to do it
0: yeah, that's such a great point man trying to disseminate you know where your career path is going to take you especially when you're in your early mid20s and for you specifically without like you know where I was already married and you know had a mortgage and all that kind of stuff but with most people in their 20s that's not part of the path and right. they probably should be that way for most people as well but i still find that people still have those limiting beliefs that prevent them from going after the things they want to do even though they're at the prime part of their life to figure it out how did you navigate those waters why was that so obvious or apparent to you when it seems like there's 90% of those people just stick in the job because culture and society says that's the path that you should go
1: down just because i've never really answered this question i'm just going to kind of go off the cuff but the main thing that comes to my mind is I do love change, which I think is really unusual. A lot of people don't like change. Let me rephrase. I like a challenge. If I feel like I'm going to be challenged, then I'm going to enjoy the change. For me, it was, okay, I did this whole sports anchoring thing. I think I was pretty good at it, but it just wasn't fulfilling me. But I proved that I could do it in this. I could start this side business in the small town, doing it 10 hours a week and making a decent income. So now let's prove that I can go to a place where I've always wanted to live and actually like do this thing in a place that I don't know anyone I have one connection and I'm just going to try to find that one connection can lead me to 250 people or 400 people or 500 however that was going to work and it was I just wanted to prove that I could do that probably that was the big reason is I just was so driven by a challenge
0: a lot of people don't ever take into account what the actual worst case scenario is and what position they would be in if the worst case scenario happened and That it's probably not that bad. I think people just conflate the worst case scenario and make it seem like it's just this big thing that's going to end up destroying their lives or whatever. They're the 23. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's like, well, I'll just keep grinding it out and hope that it goes well because, like, I don't want to end up one of those you know, failed 24-year-olds living back in my mom's couch or whatever. And it's like, honestly, worst case scenario, that doesn't sound that bad. (laughs) Like you go back, live with mom and dad for six months, build a little bit more money and then go back out, try something again. Like if you're thinking these such short-term consequences, right, consequences, not that bad. Like but you think that it is.
1: It's so funny because I'm thinking of two things right now. What you just described is literally how I now evaluate all my life decisions. If, if I'm okay with the worst case scenario, then let's go for it. Yeah. And, and I didn't really realize it then, but that was how I was deciding if I was going to do this. Okay. Worst case scenario, I'm in Arizona for three months. It doesn't work. I got to live in a place I've always wanted to live. I have money saved in the bank and I can always come back to this career of sports anchoring because now I have two years under my belt. Mm. That's not bad. Or like you said, go crash on mom and dad's couch while you try to save up some money. But it's funny because at one point when I actually started this other business in Arizona, I did start to get into financial trouble. At that point, it was like, okay, now I kind of saw the writing on the wall right around year three, but I was so ego-driven of like, I started a business and I left a career that everyone thought that I was going to succeed in. And I have to prove to everyone, not prove to myself, but prove to everyone else that I made the right decision of starting a business rather than following the sports ain't green path. And I ended up staying in that failing business for another three years when I should have saw the writing on the wall after year 3 and just been like you know what this isn't really working let's go on to the next thing and i think that's the biggest takeaway i had is you're not a failure if you step away from a business you're a failure if you step away from your dreams yeah and so the dream was still live life on my terms be able to have tons of passive income to be able to let me you know go do what i want whenever i want provide for my family but it just needed to be a different vehicle or I needed to get more help with the vehicle that I was already in. And so for me, that was the big realization I had. It was, I'd never changed the idea of the type of lifestyle I wanted. I just needed to change the vehicle.
0: And the big thing that I think people misunderstand about failure too is like failing a few times does not by definition make you a failure in terms of your identity. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think people think that if they fail one time, like obviously you were in a business where you felt like you were failing But because of not literally took time to say like, it wasn't you proving it to yourself. It was you proving it to everybody else. So because of all the opinions of other people, you decided to hold on to a failing business because you looked at it as like, well, if I give up on this, that would be a failure. You are not a failure if you have failed the only time that you have become a failure is when you accept the state of having failed as your identity Mm. or the only person that can accept and think that you're a failure. You know what I mean? Like people can succeed at any point along the journey. You can try things up until you're 65 and be like Colonel Sanders and build a billion dollar brand in your last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of life. You know what I mean? Like you're only a failure once you've accepted that that's your identity and that's who you are you are not a failure because you have failed and most of the time the opposite is true because most of the time people who have never failed have never tried anything that's difficult for them which means right. they've probably succeeded at being really mediocre which is that success you know isn't that more of a failure than giving it a shot and knowing that you gave yep. it your best but you came up empty at the end of it like isn't that a much better case scenario than not trying it at all and being afraid to ever take action on anything that you know, you think is going to make you happy or fulfilled. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I had a conversation with the owner of max preps. You're familiar with max preps. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest high school athletic website in the world, his son went to my college. I connected with him. He kind of became a mentor of mine for a couple of months, but there was one conversation we had where he was like, it took me 17 tries to like actually get to the thing that made me a millionaire. And that was Max Preps. And so he was like, I lost millions of dollars. I made horrible decisions leading up to it, but I just never gave up. And that was a big thing for me because it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to make this sports business work. Here I'm sitting in front of one of the most successful guys in the type of business that I'm doing. And he's saying that maybe this isn't going to be it. Maybe it's going to be something else. You just have to keep on going. And so that was a big one for me when I realized, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's not this business. Maybe it's going to be something else, but I just need to continue to to work at what I want for my life.
0: So, tell us about the when and the why for real estate investing. Like, So, you obviously ended up not doing that business because that's not what we're talking about and that wasn't in your intro. So, talk to me about the timeline there and then why real estate investing.
1: Yeah. Well, to bridge the gap a little bit, when I had left the business that I was doing, I was also kind of dabbling in a multi-level marketing company with health and wellness. Then I kind of went all in on that. And for a year, I did well. I thought, you know, for me, that was going to be it. But then my dad actually got sick and went into hospice in September of 2018. It was at home hospice. So I moved into my house with my parents in California to help him out. And really around that time, I was just like starting to realize that this thing that I thought I built in this multi level marketing, health, and wellness company. It crumbled almost overnight because I wasn't giving it attention, and oh, I was residual just, income, bro. Well, <laughs> yeah, and so that's the thing, right? So they they talk, they preach passive income, residual income, and you know, I'm gonna be real honest. There's a lot of people that actually do get to that point, but there's way more that don't. And so I just started thinking to myself, there has to be something that truly is passive or almost passive that fits my skill set. And I knew what my skill set was. I knew that I was a numbers guy. I knew that I could, I was a people person. I was a networker. I loved being able to connect other people. I loved giving people a job to be able to like fulfill and then get paid. And and like, you know, it was those things that I was like, I know how to do that on a multi-level marketing thing, I'm not a great like rah, rah, hey, you can do it. I believe in you. I'm more of a, hey, do the job. You're not going to get paid. (laughs) So that for me, when I started to think about that, I'm like, all right, I keep hearing about real estate and it's sad. I'm At this point, I'm 31 years old and I never had heard the word passive income and real estate in the same sentence. Mm. Like i had heard passive income, but I hadn't heard real estate, but I just kept on thinking like, well, what if I look in this real estate thing? And so I get, Listening to podcasts like Bigger Pockets, Grant Cardone, all that kind of stuff, and and you know Cardone, of course, he's entertaining to listen to. So I was listening to him for like four months, thinking like I got to get into apartments, and then I look at how much apartments cost in Fresno. I'm like, there's no way I can afford an apartment. But I just kept on educating myself. I think that's the big thing is I just knew somehow I needed to get into real estate, and so I just kept educating myself. I went to this seminar for a place called Fortune Builders. They started talking about fix and flips. And this was January of 2019 now. And I walked out of the seminar. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, this is everything. It's raising money. It's hiring the people. It's project management. It's analyzing deals. I'm like, this is every single one of my strengths all in one. I need to give this a try. I said yes to real estate literally a day before I started a new sales job. And I didn't tell them that because <laughs> I was like, all right, the sales thing is going to get me through until I actually like start making this thing in real estate work. And then my dad ends up passing away 10 days later. And so it was just one of those things that like all of these things were happening all at once that it was really tough to like keep my head on straight on a lot of stuff. But I still was just, I just had this fierce desire to make real estate work. And so middle of February, get my first deal under contract to fix and flip it. And we make a small profit that got the ball rolling and led me into fix and flips. I'm doing Airbnb is now my big expertise. We're doing subject two deals. I've done a few wholesales. It's been crazy just to see in literally what has it been January, 2019. Now we're at 20 months, basically how much different my life is today versus when I said yes in January, 2019, it was pretty crazy to look back on.
0: is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Here's what I really like about your story, bro. And this is what I like about you in general is that you are an action taker. There's so many people that think about the same things that you're doing and they've had those same thoughts that you had. And I should try out this real estate thing or I should. You know, quit this job that's sucking my soul from me and move to a different state. Or I should, you know, uh, try out this MLM for a little bit. I should learn more about personal development. I should get into sales. Like a lot of people have these thoughts, but never do anything about them. And I was talking with somebody the other day and they're me just kind of about general career advice or whatever. And I was just telling them taking action is one of the best things you can do, especially if yeah. like you're in one of those like anxious or depressed states where lack of action is just going to fuel the depressive state that you're in, it's really good to get out and go do things, just take some action in a certain direction. And the best illustration that I have for this is like, imagine a guy in the middle of the ocean and gets dropped in the middle of the ocean and the person drops him off, tells him like there's an island within swimming distance from you, but you can't see where it is. You have two options at that point. One, you can just tread water where you are and spin in circles and look around and try to theorize and think about which direction the island is in, in which case you'll probably just end up drowning because you never ended up going in a certain (laughs) direction and you can't (laughs) tread water forever, right? Or you can immediately take action in a certain direction. And then once you get the knowledge that that's not the path, that you picked the wrong direction, right? Then you can turn around, swim back to where you started, and then start out in a different direction. The cool thing about that is that it guarantees a level of success at some point. The timeline is different. The timeline is going to be different for everybody. And and that's what people see these like 22-year-olds that happened by total chance and accident and luck to pick the right direction the, the first time. And they right, totally total become a yeah. multimillionaire at 22 years old. Yeah. And like, Oh man, I'm I'm horrible at what I do because I'm 38 or 44 and I haven't found that thing yet or whatever. You know, and it's just like, no, they just got lucky the first time and picked the right direction. And I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. success is due to luck because obviously a lot of it's hard work and pushing past and that's understood. What I am saying though, is that not enough people ever take the time to take action in certain directions to figure out, to cross that thing off your list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've gone through enough things now to be like, you know what, sports broadcasting, I thought that was going to be the direction. cross that off the list. I tried it. I didn't yeah. like it. Okay, next. Did this uh, video business. Okay. Tried it. Didn't like it. Okay, next. Did this MLM for a little bit. Had some cool things. I, I had, saw a little bit amount of success. Like I got a little bit further along the road, but ultimately cross it out. Didn't like it. And now you're in real estate investing. But the point of me bringing that whole story and illustration up is to say like, is to acknowledge you for being an action taker and just going in a different direction and being willing to say, you know what? I might be 31 now. And maybe my friend who I graduated college with is at that same corporation that he got his first job with at age 22. And now they're some, you know, sort of corporate level, regional, something or other and get an 80K salary and they drive the company car and they're 31 years old, but they're in a soul-sucking job that they absolutely hate, but they just kept sticking with it. You know what I mean? Whereas you're, you, when you were 30, 31, you're making this big transition, jumping into this industry. You had no idea how to navigate. But now here we are a year and a half, almost two years later, I'm jumping into that new industry. And now you don't just have the experience that you've gotten in the last year and a half. Now you have from ages 20 to 30 of all the things that you tried, the broadcast exactly. that helped with your communication exactly. skills. The MLM that helped with your maybe sales or personal development journey, like you have all these other skill sets and things that can now start you off way further than you would have started anything else previously because you constantly are taking action and heading in a certain direction. I just think that's highly underrated, bro. And I just want to take a second and acknowledge you for for being willing to do those things.
1: Thank you. And the first thing that's coming to mind right now is if you haven't read the book Chop Wood Carry Water, you have to. It's by Joshua Medcalf. And there's this illustration that the, he has where basically Think about your life goal and put it at the top of the highest building in the entire world. And now put a ladder that's the same height right to the top of that building and now climb up that ladder. Let's say it takes you 65 years. This represents the career in which you're, you're taking. You get to that top of that building and you realize you're on the wrong freaking building. Like how depressing would that be? And I think the reason for that is people just don't know what they want their lifestyle to look like. And so if you know what you want your lifestyle to look like, you're going to know when you get into a career, if it is matching what your lifestyle should look like. And so like, I feel really bad for these people who go through like 15 years of med school and then, you know, get in front of the surgery table and realize, oh my gosh, this has been the worst decision of my life because now I'm quarter million dollars in debt, probably more. And they just, they had the wrong ladder on the wrong building because they weren't thinking about the life goal of what they wanted their lifestyle to look like. They were thinking about just the vehicle. What do I think I would be good at? Yeah. And that's I'm not the way to think other about people. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think 100%, like, I mean, what Gary Vee talks about all the time, like screw other people, do what you want to do. And like, that is really a, a big realization and it's so simple, but it really is so true. And I mean, I could talk about that all day long because I'm I'm not the the flashy car that guy or the flashy house guy, but all my friends are like, when are you going to buy your first like Corvette or or Jaguar? I'm like, I don't really want that. I want to have money in the bank just in case like stuff happens. Anyway, so, but my point there is like, I think that people just don't, Stop and think about: Will this career actually get me to where I want to go in life? Versus, hey, do I think it'd be good at this career? So, I would definitely recommend that book, though.
0: Yeah, I love that man. We could talk about that for another like hour. So, I want to take a second and make this focus the attention back on you and your story specifically. So, okay, you start in real estate investing doing some flips and stuff like that. When I first met you, I think your name, your Instagram handle, your brand was the Fearless Flipper. Is that right?
1: Fearless Flipping, yeah.
0: And so now you've changed that to the Fearless Investor and you've turned your specialty into more Airbnb style things. So talk to me about the transition from going to like focusing on flipping, which is obviously what Fortune Builders really pushes most of their students to. um, And then going from flipping into doing Airbnb and then give us a few of those like top tips that you'd give to people if they're listening and thinking like, oh, that sounds like an intriguing business. I might want to do
1: that. Yeah, well, it's funny. I started Airbnb Airbnb in 2015, not even knowing I was doing some sort of real estate. you know house hacking is the the technical term for that, but I was just really doing a room out of my house and it was helping me pay for my mortgage. And like three years into it is when I said yes to real estate and I was like, hey, you know what? like I guess I've been kind of in real estate for a while, but it kind of like peeled back the page a little bit and made me kind of think what else can I do with Airbnb rather than just rent a room out of my house? So one weekend I went out of town and I said, let's just throw the entire house up on Airbnb. Let's put some astronomical number out there. Fresno, California, who's going to want this? I'll put it out for $120 a night. No one's going to book that. It booked all three nights. I made $450 with the cleaning fee for three nights when I was on vacation. And I was like, that's passive income. That is literally like what I've been searching for. How do I do that again? And so I just got into education. This is basically now, this is April, 2019. I get into education, I start buying these courses, I get a mentor, and before I know it, I've got my first quote unquote what's called arbitrage in Airbnb, where I just basically rent it out and then I sublease it on Airbnb with the permission of the landlord. Making a thousand dollars a month close to it on a one bedroom one bath apartment here in Fresno and I was like okay if I can do that with a one bedroom one bath I can do that with three bedroom two bath I can do that with anything so in 5 months we went from our best month being $1000 to 5 months later we were grossing $15,500 with six different properties now fast forward to today it's been 16 months we're at 22 properties this month we should gross right around $50,000 we'll probably net close to 18 to 20,000 of that and the thing I love about it is that I have amazing teammates that I get to hire for these jobs my assistant just texted me last night saying hey if I haven't said in a while I just want you to know this has been such a life-changing job for me I love it I hope you see I'm treating it like it's my own business and it's stuff like that that really makes me happy to be able to be a part of this but it's also just completely systematizable and so we're growing at a rapid rate right now. We've added another 12 listings in the last three months. So we're really busy right now. But once those listings are all up and going, it's really just a plug and play system that allows me to just keep on adding, keep on adding, make sure we have enough cleaners, make sure we have enough repairmen, make sure we have enough VAs to handle all this. And as long as we have enough, then it's just get a new listing, plug it into the system, get a new listing, plug it into the system, add cash flow, add cash flow, add cash flow. And so it's been just amazing. And, and I kind of like pinch myself for one smile. Cause I'm like, is this really like as good as it is? And And it is. So it's, it's been amazing, man.
0: What's the biggest risk for you in doing those things? Because obviously you don't own the property or anything like that, and you're still on the hook for the lease payment, I'm assuming. And especially Mm -hmm. with some like a big thing like COVID that happened where travel was extremely limited for a little while. Talk to me about like some of the ways that you decrease the risk that you take on those properties.
1: Yeah. Well, let me answer your question, but I want to also let you know that. Our portfolio is at its lowest risk, basically tolerance that it's ever been because now we're not just doing this arbitrage thing and we're not just owning, we're doing managing. We're literally just having landlords come to us and say, hey, if we treat you like a property manager and have you just listed on Airbnb and take care of all the systems, we'll pay for everything. We'll have full financial responsibility and everything. But Kyla, we want you to manage it and take a percentage. We've got over 13 listings now that are like that. And so if anything happens to it, I have no risk. They just basically end the contract with us. So that's a beautiful place to be in Airbnb. That takes some time and building up your resume and being able to build a name and a reputation for yourself. But if you're just starting and you want to start with arbitrage, you don't have a lot of money, the best place to mitigate the risk is just by understanding how to analyze the deal like if you can analyze the deal the right way and know that hey worst case scenario like if i'm only 50% booked on this thing then here's what i'm going to make oh okay cool i'm still making money and you're doing that deal right you're analyzing that correctly then by all means, you're in a great place. The great thing about that too, the low, I mean, like the highest risk that you take is you buy the furniture, which let's just say for a one bedroom, one bath, you're out three to $5,000. And then you do it for three or four months, you've paid $1,000 a month and you're not making any money. Okay. So you've just lost $10,000 to test out a brand new business. How many businesses only cost ten thousand dollars that could eventually pay you six figures passively? The reward is just so much higher than the risk to me. Not to mention that you can actually raise the money and and you know have an investor in the deal to make sure that if you have no money, then you once again put the risk on someone else. I mean, there's just so many different ways to be able to make this a risk-free business.
0: Yeah, and obviously one of those ways would be to hire somebody like you, right? To make sure that you're taking all the proper steps and setting up the deal in a way that's more advantageous for you and making sure that it's profitable and all that kind of stuff and making sure you don't get yourself in a situation where you're just losing money, right? So even the 10 grand that you're putting up at risk, if you do it the right way, you can really mitigate even that risk,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Sounds Um, like that's exactly
0: what you did. You've hired a oh, yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yes, I, I have students and I have an educational program and we have a course with a mastermind. But I mean, I'll just give you a really specific example. I had a guy recently. Uh, he's a new student of mine. His name's Tobena. He came to me and we've been talking for like a year and he'd been just kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really need your help. I don't know if I really need your help. And then he finally got his first arbitrage deal under contract. And he was like, hey, like, I'll just pay you for an hour of your time. And let's talk about what I need to do. And in that hour that we talked, he kind of realized he had a crappy deal. He was only going to make like on a good month, 400 bucks a month, which like, you know, it's going to take him a good year at least to get his investment back. And that's not a great deal. And so I was like, let's instead, like, you don't have any tie to this deal yet. Let's get you out of this deal. Let's show you what you, what kind of deal you do need to look for. And two days later, he's calling me up. He's like, holy cow, I got one under contract. We're going, we're doing this thing. Like it was, it met the specs of everything that we had laid out. And now we're just taking them through the process of how they get that all set up. But I think that's the big thing is like, if you try to do this on your own, you might make some mistakes. He might've made a mistake that, you know, wasn't necessarily going to lose him any money could have, but I was going to take him a long time to actually make a profit versus just talking to me for even an hour. He figured out what he needed to be looking for. And I think that's the absolute toughest thing about doing Airbnb and getting started is knowing what you're going to make, how to analyze the deal properly. If you can do that, then you're in a much better position than most people.
0: Yeah, I love that, man. So if people do want to get in touch with you, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, you know what? I've been looking for a good side hustle. This seems like a really great fit for me. I want to learn more about real estate and I want to do it in a way that I don't have to like purchase the properties first. You know, I want to start analyzing deals, all that kind of stuff. What would be the best way for them to get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, just going over to our website, first of all, fearlesskyle.com. There's a few things you can find there. First of all, I got a podcast and YouTube channel called The Fearless Investor. It's all right there, but on the homepage at fearlesskyle.com, you have a Airbnb profit calculator right there on the homepage. All you have to do is put in your name and email and it's going to be emailed right to you. It shows you exactly how to analyze the deal, use the calculator so that you can know if you have an Airbnb deal or an Airbnb dud. That is a great place to start. You can also go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash Airbnb host. That is a step-by-step how you should get into Airbnb if you want to get started. And if you want to look at becoming a student of mine, there's an application right there at the end. But honestly, even just following me on Instagram, I love connecting with people. I always answer people who um, actually try to start a legitimate conversation on DM. Don't just say hi. Say, hey, what's up? I heard you on the Build Your Network podcast and I, I will love to connect with you guys. It's just at fearlesskyle on Instagram.
0: Sweet man, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this last question before we move into the last segment because it's the one I ask every guest, and I'm sure you know what's coming. Do you believe, Kyle, that who you know or what you know is more important? Uh,
1: Definitely Uh, who, definitely (laughs) who. I just think that 100% of the deals that I've done here in the last three months have been because of who I know um, before what I know. You know, I, I definitely think that you build this reputation off of what you know, but you have the power to be able to build your business because of who you know and, and what they know about you.
0: Cool, man. I, I figured that was going to be your answer. Uh, I know that we've probably had private discussions about that kind of stuff. So let's yeah. go move into the last segment here, bro. Just the random round. A few quick random questions, quick okay. random answers, right? Let's do it. What profession, other than your own, do you think that'd be fun to attempt?
1: Well, the one that I never got a chance to do, be a play-by-play broadcaster for a major league baseball team.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Ed Milet. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos?
1: Audiobooks and podcasts.
0: Cool. Give us an audiobook you listened to recently you recommend.
1: Oh, what was the one I just listened to? It was Dan Crenshaw. There you go. Uh, Fortitude. Yeah, that one was good. That was really good.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Wake up, read the date of my Jesus Calling book, listen to usually a faith-based podcast, and then get in a day, make some breakfast, check my notifications.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Oh, Hurricane by I Prevail.
0: What is something that you were just not very good at?
1: Patience. <laughs> <laughs> so I
0: naturally got into real estate. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we get everything wrapped up here, brother, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most?
1: Uh, yeah, just like I said, fearlesskyle.com. My YouTube channel and podcast are right there on that page.
0: Sweet. If you want to go connect more with Kyle, head over to fearlesskyle.com and uh, use at least the Airbnb calculator. Figure out maybe yeah. if uh, there might be a deal or two that you know offhand that might actually work out for you. And then go fill out that application and do some of Kyle's coaching. I have no doubt you'll be getting the best education in the space. So that's fearlesskyle.com. Kyle, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. I had a blast.
1: Travis, you're the man. Thanks, man.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to Travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.